0: All right. Well, let's get started. Again, it's good to be with each other, and I'm really enjoying this time. Last week was a blast, wasn't it? Let's see if we can have another blast with the Lord. This is always good. But well, let's uh, let's warm it up. Um, How you what do you what do you think of the first one? I want I wanted to introduce you to a very significant person and controversy, which was of course Augustine and Pelagius, and much of our confession has. Uh, Is reflecting a lot of Augustinianism, if you will. But um, anyway, so this is this is a very significant historical debate, and I tell you, we're going to learn more about it later. But uh, what do you think? Uh, A plagius argument, first of all. (laughs) I mean, let's let's least let's least give it a little bit of credit. I mean, isn't it a bit of a haunting question at first sight that? He would say, "Well, why would God tell us to do something that we couldn't do?" I mean, I think that's an honest question. All right, so let's you know, let's think about that. And is that true? Did God command us to do that which we could not do? Yes. Okay. Well, it depends. Accounts- yes, really. So therefore, we're not. Uh, do you believe, therefore, that we are not liable for for our not doing it if we could?
1: We're condemned because we can't do it.
0: Okay. What do you mean by can't?
1: We're not able.
0: What's the what? Now, now you're gonna have to really. Now we've got a little theology. Now we're we're gonna get you to really think through it. Um, let's think about what we've talked about in terms of free will and. And sovereignty, and some of these other things.
2: If you go before the fall of Adam, we were able to do that. Mm. It was a choice, but after the fall of Adam, then we have a whole different Okay,
0: society. so were we born free? No. 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 Wrong. <laughs> well, initially, we were. We were born free. And we are free. But free. But I remember talking about this, and we freely choose sin. So it gets into the issue of will. I'll remind you a little bit of a conversation we had. So my son comes out of the womb, and he just doesn't like squash. And he is offered squash, or he's offered anything else, ice cream, let's say. 100% of the time, he chooses ice cream. But was he free to choose? Because of his affections. His, that's the word you know, Augustine, religious affections. His affections are for ice cream, and he will choose what his affections choose every time. Now, uh, the issue is that the fall, we we are not free because we are in bondage to our. This is a Luther term. What our will, our affections, and our affections have rejected God, and so we were born free. And yet in our freedom we rejected God and we were therefore delivered over the curse is that God delivers us over to our will that rejects God and the only time and the only way in which we become free again is when we are born again and given a new nature and a new will wherein we can believe upon God again and be restored to him Paul talks about it In the language of Corinthians, these things must be spiritually appraised. That is, given by the Spirit. So when someone confessed faith in Jesus Christ in the Gospel, Jesus would say such things as what? man did not reveal that to you. That didn't come from you. That was the gift of God. Faith is always a gift of God, right? So we are free, and yet we are bound to our will, a will that has been delivered over to what we originally willed, original sin, which is to be our own God, in so many words. Now, so are we, did God command something of us that was that we could not do? Oh, yes. But, he also provided his son that could do it and mm. did do it, yeah. and his
1: doing it is accounted to us. This is great.
0: Purchase. So, what's going on here? This is really great. So, what's going on here is you are rightly wanting to remember that the doctrine of the decrees, that God is sovereign. Did God decree that man would fall? Yes. 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 Now, this is pretty. This is, I can't believe we got this deep this fast. I really didn't (laughs) ban him for this, but that's all right. Yes, so God decreed the fall, and yet, what does our confession make it very clear? And yet, without sin. And yet, without himself sinning, that wasn't a sin. He decreed the free will, the free will that would fall, and he decreed the salvation that would then restore us back to himself, all of which then brings us to the glory of God and his justice and grace all together. So there's a sense in which we can say, yes, the decree of God was that I would sin, but no, God didn't make me do it. it was, we're not, a, in a naturalist sense, determined. We had free will. There was freedom of will. Go read your confession. We have a whole chapter in our confession on free will. And yet that freedom, now we put it in the context of the sovereignty of God, was ordained of God. And in that freedom, it is it, it exercises itself in rejecting God, and that's called the original sin. The curse against the original sin was to deliver us over to that which we willed, and all the subsequent curses that came from that, to be rejected from God is to be rejected from life, and all the precursors of death is sickness and illness and relationship struggles and... All the sins of breaking the law and all the consequences of those sins and the grief that that brings—that's all comes from original sin. So there's original sin, and then there's the, all the sins, plural. All right, and the curses that come upon us because of our sins. So what? What? So on the one hand, Pelagius is right. Yes, God did command us to be holy. And yes, in our original state of innocence, not perfection. By the way, what's the difference between innocence and perfection?
3: Innocence means you haven't done anything yet. And perfection means you've done everything.
0: That's right. Very important difference here, because that's getting into the plagiarist controversy. So in our innocence, which means we hadn't done anything yet, we were on probation, if you will, we, we, we failed. That related to the curse. So now under the curse can we be holy? No we can't. Eventually no we can't not in ourselves. We don't have That's the right. to pay that debt. So it is impossible hmm? but we already rejected holiness freely the curse is to <laughs> deliver us over and so we have this sinful nature we call it. A nature, a will, an affection that is a, that is Inherently sinful. And we were in bondage to that will, except that Christ intervened and gave us new life, new creation. So in the sun, in one sense, Pelagius is right. This is look, these people aren't dumb. I mean, they didn't have this big debate because, you know, this was simple. And so, yes, it's been a rest the church has been struggling with this issue since Pelagius. And we still struggle with it. Called Pelagianism. And Armenianism is a variation of Pelagianism. All right? So to the answer to the question, what do you think of Pelagius' argument? Well, it would, it would be right if the fall had never happened. And yet what he's not recognizing is a doctrine we've already talked about, which is original sin. And Pelagius, like Finney, Finney was a Pelagian, Charles Finney, Remember the argument we had when we were talking about all that? Do you remember that was about three or four lessons ago? That was a really important discussion where Finney understood us as being sick but not dead. <laughs> he saw the role of the Holy Spirit as like a lawyer, not as a new creator. And that's, that's plagiarism. And that's what bred the revivalism of the 19th century. So therefore, Pelagius in spirit, I mean, uh, uh, Finney, in, in the spirit of, of this theology... Becomes the instrument of God in arguing into the kingdom of God. He's going to do anything he can tend. They're called new measures to get you emotionally to a place where you'll respond, and that's the revival service. Um, there's some things good about it, maybe, but I'm not trying to be national with that. But he's got a point. and he's a faithful Christian, but he's dead wrong about this issue. So are you? Are you warming up? Is it getting warm enough in here? What do y'all think? Is that answer your question? So yeah, pull, pull, it's 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 a good thing, but it it's ripped out of the redemptive historical narrative of the Bible. You could say yes and no. Then yes, we were born innocent, with the freedom to choose. God said, "Eat this and you shall die," and or, and don't eat this and you will live. And we and and the temptation was what to let to become the arbiter of truth, to become the arbiter of right and wrong and therefore make ourselves the Lord of of the world and we rejected God with the temptation to be Lord. And God delivered us over to that decision. He gave us what we wanted and what we wanted is what kills us. So Pelagius is right and then the response of course was what? What do you think the response was? So now, the, the issue we're getting into is the issue of assurance. So when can a person... Really, be assured.
3: Never with Pelagius's argument. Never
0: with Pelagius, if it's not possible now in our sin to be holy. So you are right, Fred. After the fall, it isn't possible because we have a sinful nature. Yeah, I forgot about the before of the fall part. <laughs> because <laughs> we hadn't forgetting that, firstly, had we? Haven't. So that's right. So it is impossible. And so now we're going to be striving for the rest of our lives to be perfect because it's in our perfection that we're going to be enabled to see that, in fact, we've finally re- we're finally restored to God. We have finally put him as our Lord. We're not, we're not sometimes putting him at Lord and sometimes not because every sin comes right down to lordship issue, doesn't it? Now, before you ask your question, because I think we're on a roll here, logically at least, what was Augustine's answer, do you think? And this is going to help you understand now what's going on in this perseverance assurance. What do you think? If that's the doctrine of assurance, etc., 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 Augustine responds, what do you think he says? He says, Oh no, you, you you've you've misunderstood the basis of assurance. It's not perfectionism, it's perseveranceism. In other words, what what is what is it? That we will then discern as evidence of being saved. That we are persevering in the struggle. That we're persevering in repentance and faith. That we come back to it a million times and then a million more times to repentance and faith. Every day, every hour, every week, every Sunday. God forgive me. And renew my great, my faith upon the grace of the gospel, which enables me to have 100% assurance based on the promises of God that we're saved by grace, not of ourselves, lest anyone could boast. It's the free gift of God. We have scriptures ample clear that if anyone says he's not in sin, they're a liar, 1 John. And therefore, we that's the story. So here we had perfectionism by, by the monk Pelagius. The response was, no, it's perseveranceism. That's number one. Any any questions or thoughts? And we're really into it. Did you want to get in there, Reese? Yeah, I,
2: mean, I guess I don't want to. I wanted to question, especially with uh, your clarification with Fred, when you say we were born free, is that a pre-fall statement? hmm It is. You're not yeah. saying we are born free now. Now we're
0: born with original sin. Correct. We were born right. in sin. That's yes. right. Okay
2: and therefore our natures That's are correct. not free. That's correct. Okay, so when you say we're born free, you're talking about free... I mean, humanity life. was... Yeah, maybe I said that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. I just wanted to clarify I that. I should have said
0: created you know. free. So it was like a... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, scripture that right, right, right. says that we're born and dead.
2: No, absolutely. And
3: born dead, right? Yeah.
2: Dead Erase dead.
0: that on the record, please, and go back. If I said born and <laughs> created, okay, we got that.
3: So I'm just curious what Pelagius would do with so many other scriptures... Like the one you just quoted. Yeah, yeah. Um, how do you? How did? It, it just. I mean, even if you read Leviticus before you get to the end of the chapter, he's talking about guilt offerings mm-hmm, and all this, mm-hmm. and well, obviously, yeah. yeah, we're not going
0: to be able to do it. But the way that you would read it, it is not that we. He, he certainly doesn't deny that we're sinful. Mm-hmm. Okay, so he would. He would say that we're sinful. Um, what he's going to say is that if we have truly received the Holy Spirit and we've been given the new life. What really he's not believing is that we still have a uh, the tension between the two natures. That we have two natures now, even as one is is is, a, is taking over the other through sanctification. Mm. We still have a two nature battle going on. I'm Paul. The thing, the very thing I want to do, I can't do, etc. Although he's talking about a redemptive historical argument there, but but it's that idea that. That we are now each of us reliving the redemptive histo- history of, of humanity in our own flesh and blood. It's a very powerful argument in chapter seven, and so there's that sense in which, so yeah, we are, you know. And so what you would have to do to believe that you're holy is redu- you would have to reduce the meaning of holiness, without a doubt. And what do you? And do he with, did that.
3: And what do you do with the sins that occur that you committed prior to? Your your salvation. Yeah. Well, he would say, them based yeah.
0: upon His grace, based yeah. upon the doctrine." It's, see, we're talking about the, not the doctrine. We're talking about the doctrine of assurance here. Right. Well, that's what we're going to be talking about today. Okay. Let's go to the second question, and it kind of gets it at, at, from our confessional point of view. Um, so, our teaches that a person may be certainly assured that they are in the state of grace and may rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, which hope <laughs> shall never make them ashamed. That's that's what we should expect in the Christian life. Now later, did I go? in yet, the confession further states that a true believer may well wait long in conflict with many difficulties before he may be a partaker of it. Why do you think? What are the, conflict, the difficulties? What, why would what What do you think are the reasons for a person not having assurance of faith?
2: You sort of answered it, right? That perseverance yeah. creates assurance, and so there takes a, there's a time where you have to persevere before you get it, yeah. and so that the difficulty of persevering mm-hmm. um, initially could yeah. take a while before you get that assurance.
0: Okay. I-
3: ignorance of scripture.
1: I was going to start there. <laughs> I think the first
0: thing is that there's an incredible, incredible ignorance. Yeah. Um, I have made it a habit since I've been in this church to never, ever, ever assume that someone has assurance. I don't care if you came from a, the strongest PCA church in the country. Because I've been out almost amazingly how, how when I really dig, you know, oh yeah, I'm sure, but okay, so what are you going to do on Sunday when you sin really bad next week? You know, oh, well, oh, it starts to sound different. Now, let's be honest, though. What is the occasion? Okay, so one is just there's some really bad theology. Arminianism, Pelagianism has often won the populist day. It fits Americana. Works righteousness is downstream, it's not upstream when it comes from believability. Everything in our world says, you earn it. <laughs> so, you know, and then in a populous sort of environment, uh, it's just everywhere. It's everywhere. It was such good news to me. We were teaching uh, the gospel uh, through Galatians to a study about seven years ago when we were starting Goatville, and I was teaching this with a group of folks here in town. And, um, you know, and, and the, the assumption coming in is that the church is the most brutal and oppressive and condemning institution in the face of the earth. That's where most people are, especially up here, who come into our context. You know, if they've been in the, this Love the Paddle Whacker story or whatever it is. Um, and, you know, there's a sin, and, and I hear the same thing coming out of evangelicalism and the kind of, pie, you know, if, if the, if the you know, Catholic environment is what you might want to call sacramental self-righteousness, you know, the evangelical trends to be the pietistic self-righteousness. But whatever it is, you've got this all these laws and rules that really go beyond Scripture, pietism, and you're made to feel guilty all the time because you're not doing certain things that good Christians do. And that brings into this stuff. But then, you know, so, yeah, I think, and we were teaching this thing. We were teaching basically the doctrines of grace, the gospel, and all that we talk about here. And I'll never forget, it was a beautiful moment when, when this person who works at Yale in a, in a department over there said, um, you know, I, I, you know, she said, uh, I, can't, I can't remember exactly what she said, but basically it just was, you know, in the sense of amazement, you guys are more gracious than my non-Christian friends <laughs> at Yale. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like, you think that's kind of odd, because of course, but no, because... The, the idea was the more ungodly you are, or the more unreligious you are, the, more, the less condemning you're going to be. But all of a sudden it hit her that I'm living all the time in fear of man, and in fear of what people think of me, and in fear of all this stuff, and over here there's no fear after about a, six months of this study. We actually can be real here. And it was just a major aha moment for her, and that's the way it should be. So yeah, I think one reason is the doctrines, but let's be honest, there's another what is the basis of uh, when you are admitted to the Lord's table, are you admitted as a sinner? Yes. But is there something that would prevent you from being admitted? One could be what you just said, which is that uh, you don't give, you don't profess uh, faith that is, you don't have, you don't, you can't profess faith. hmm I, here, here's what I believe, and the belief that gives you grounds for being saved, by having assurance. What's another? Unconfessed sin. Good. Okay, unconfessed sin. We call it a credible profession of faith. This is where the debate is right here. Credible profession of faith. What is a credible profession of faith? Well, it certainly has to do with the fact that you can assent to certain things, but it also has to do with unrepentant sin or repentant sin. And so we'll often ask the question, is there any sin in your life that you put aside and said, off limits God? Is there any (laughs) sin in your life that you are not seeking God's help and grace to overcome? Now you're going to say, to be honest, well sin begins, remember James, where does sin begin? It begins with affections, it begins with the will. So on the one hand, I sin because I want to, you know? I mean, I, I'm just so aware. I mean, I just am so aware of how sinful I am when it comes to just selfishness. I mean, I could, you know, and I've said it before. I, I, I'm talking to somebody today about this and just thinking in my head as I'm listening to this person struggle, going, I could alleviate some of this. I could alleviate some of this. I could sell this. I could do that. I could do this. And I'm just feeling it bad because <laughs> I could. I mean, let's just be honest. I got clothes I can sell. I've got cars I could not have. I have lifestyle I could get rid of. And I can help people. I don't want to help people. Or I would. I'm a sinner in my heart. It sucks. Silence. It's true. <laughs> and maybe you should ask the question, am I a repentant sinner, Pastor? I mean, could you do it? Yeah, but I don't want to. But God, I'm trying to want to more and more. And God helped me want to. Help me make some steps here. Help me do this. Help me learn more. Help me get around people more that, that encourage me to do it. Help me, help me to do this. But it's a struggle. Right? And so what I'm getting at is, is repentant sin is not I'm perfect, I'm perfect. And see, that's exactly where this debate starts to come down. You can now be, you at least understand what was going on with Pelagius. How do I know this guy's kind of sincere? I mean, come on, Preston, if you really were sincere and God really was the Lord, you would, you would follow the golden rule. Do it to others you'd have them do it to you. If I'm this girl and I'm me, I wish you would give me a goat. Do it. This is an analogy that I'm borrowing, of course, from Christ, right? The rich young ruler. And he went away sad. And thank God the rest came. Was impossible for man is not impossible with God. Which brings us to, the, to what God did in Christ in satisfying the law. Receiving that work of Christ by faith, enabling me to have assurance that I am in Christ righteous. Now, God, I'm righteous. Help me in my unrighteousness. I believe. Help me in my unbelief. That's the world of, of perseverance. That's the answer to the second question. Unrepentant sin. And in those periods of unrepentant sin, when we've truly unrepented, we're not confessing, we're not we're we're then then we are gonna have our our assurance emotionally or subjectively, you know, shaken. But we persevere until the end. That's those who are assured. You just keep coming back. So when a person comes to my study and says, Hey pastor, I need to meet with you, why? I'm really shaking here. I've been, I'm really struggling with this sin, and I'm not sure I'm a Christian. What am I going to say now? Perfectionism says, I don't know why you haven't, after 20 something years of being a Christian, not given more coats to the poor. You're condemned. Augustine Perseverance is going to say, Help me. Pelagius said what I just said. Augustine Perseverance says, Try, it. come on, Josh. I bet you got it. What would he say? Contrast what I just said. What? All you gotta do is ask. So you're you're yeah, here. The fact that you're here. There That's you go. You're here. Took the yeah. first step. You're wanting. You're wanting it. You're coming. You're here. You're persevering. You're getting help. The fact that you're in the office tells me. Now I want to investigate a little bit more and see what that means, but. You could be using me to try to, you know, trick God or something. You know, the pastor says I don't feel better. But, so it's possible, you know, that this is all a big manipulation game. and You're in here just to get me to lay hands on you and pray for you. and You can go out and keep sinning. So i would ask a few questions. I mean, so what are we going to do about this? Now I might put some things in your life that's going to really check it out and say, well, okay, if you're really serious here, would you mind being accountable? Now, being accountable, knowing this person is going to continue to bring you to the gospel He's not going to tell you that you're that you're going to hell because you you still struggle with it. It's it's kind of subjective, but it's true. So you're right. I would ordinarily say, praise God. <laughs> Perseverance is the answer. Are you persevering? Are you are you here looking for help? Are you here repent, confessing sins to God, receiving His grace and forgiveness by great for by faith alone? And do you want our help to help you? Is there some counseling? Would you be willing to go to it if that would help? accountability would that help that's perseverance yes. any questions just a comment uh,
1: in John 17 you know Jesus prays for our perseverance yeah, so it's yeah, not that yeah. we're struggling on our own yeah. uh, yes, yeah. to do
0: that amen. amen absolutely in fact you could just as well say God perseveres for us God is persevering for us and in us. You know, Now let's look at some scriptures. We need some scripture. Ah, we need some scripture. Let's let's do this. You see there on your uh, handout, and uh, like we did last time, I just spent half our time on our our, our thing here, but that's all right. Um, someone look at uh, Philippians 1-6. Who's got it? That's a classic that everybody seems to know. If you don't go to memorize it. Anybody got it? 1-6. Who's going to read it for me? Get out your iPhones. Let's go, Fred. You got it. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Philippians one six. One six. Okay, hold on.
0: And if someone could read, uh, those are all too much. Yeah, let's read Romans eight sixteen. And then let's read John. Who's got that one? Thank you. And then let's read John ten twenty seven to thirty. Who's got that one? I got it. Thank you, Reese. Sorry, Fred. That's fine. <laughs> All right. Let's listen to the scripture. Good
4: Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus.
0: So who's persevering? God, God. is the subject there, right? Right. Next. Romans, yeah. Romans eight sixteen. The
3: Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Should I keep going? Yeah. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and follow and fellow heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with Him, in order that we may also be glorified with Him.
0: Mm. Persevering, suffering in our struggle against sin. Okay, John.
2: My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand, and I and the Father
0: are one. So notice the language of our confession, chapter 17. They whom God hath accepted in his beloved, effectually called, okay, we're working through the order of salutes here, the order of salvation. And sanctified by his spirit can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein until the end and be eternally saved. Now, a Puritan writer wrote that, all right, 350 years ago. And if you stop there, you'd say, okay, yeah, yeah, okay. Now, let me let me further... And I've read this passage many times to those who, who committed a serious, what I'd call grievous, and maybe you know, publicly known sin. The same assembly who wrote that wrote, let's just skip over here. And he talks about, well, let's just read them all here. I'm going to do three. The perfe- perseverance of the saints depends not upon their own free will, but upon the immutability of the decree of election. Boy, I told you this was going to get very web-like. See how many doctrines are coming together here that you've already had to learn? It's a web of belief. You've got to keep thinking about it. Flowing from the free and unchangeable love of God the Father upon the efficacy of the merit and intercession of Jesus Christ, the abiding of the Spirit and the seed of God within them, and the nature of the covenant of grace, from all which ariseth also the certainty and the infallibility thereof. Infallibility of what? Perseverance. So right now I'm going, wow. This is, this is, you know, this must be a really holy person. You know, someone who's been sanctified, who's glorified, you know, all this stuff. But then listen to this nevertheless clause. This is amazing. How many pious evangelicals could write this as a doctrine? Just think about that. Nevertheless, they, who's they? Christians. People who are persevering. They may... Through their temptations of Satan and of the world, the prevalency of corruption remaining in them, that sinful nature, and the neglect of the means of their preservation, as in leaving church, words, sacrament, community, the main ones, they may what? Fall into what sins? Not, not sweet, sentimental, I'm struggling with, with uh, lust sins, but grievous sins. I went and got a prostitute, pastor. Sins. I mean, that's what they're talking about here, this this these grievous sins. And for a time continue therein, whereby they incur God's displeasure and grieve his Holy Spirit. They come to be deprived of some measure of their graces and comforts. They have their hearts hardened and their consciences wounded, hurt, scandalize others, and bring temporal judgments upon themselves. You now these are those. Who could conceivably be those who were persevering in faith? Now, how would you know? In the middle of them doing this, in the middle of them leading the church, I have a young life leader. He was like a saint when I was in high school. Uh, I even know his name. I'm not going to say, of course. And he just apostatized. He left the faith. He went into grievous sin. It was scandalous. It was public. And we were all just horrified. Is he a Christian? We don't know in that moment. Maybe it was a false conversion. Maybe he true. At that moment, is there evidence of a persevering faith? There isn't. He gave in. He took off. That's what they're talking about. There are those who are truly elected at certain and sundry times could look like this. That's incredible. These are the Puritans talking. I say that just to kind of help you out a little bit. And yet, eventually, if they are they will fit into the earlier description, they will persevere in the end. They will come home eventually. This guy I'm talking about came home. He has an amazing, powerful ministry. It took him about ten years. But he came home and repented. And he's now having a vibrant ministry helping other people who struggled in the sense that he struggled with.
1: Didn't that happen to Demas?
0: Maybe. How much? I think Paul <laughs> said that he had left
1: yeah, him and that. gone yeah. to the world and so forth, but then later on, another letter, he yeah. come back?
0: Maybe so, yeah. Thank you.
1: I couldn't
0: be wrong. No, I, I just don't know Demas. I mean, I don't remember the Demas story. That's all.
2: Yeah? So, so one of the things that's... Uh, one of the passages that makes me struggle with assurance is Matthew and the... In Matthew, where Jesus is talking about the parable of the sower, mm-hmm. and particularly where he talks about, you know, receives the word, receives it with joy, yeah. but then it's sort of it's snatched away yeah. or choked out by the cares of the world. or, yeah. And so um, I guess I'm wondering, because that's always sort of a chink in, in my assurance is, well, what if I'm a seed that wasn't put in?
0: You won't know. Up? Right. You, you, you have assurance. Because you are now in persevering life in faith in Christ. You, have, you should have a certain assurance. You don't know the future. You live each day at a time. But you know the promise of God and your assurance, your are infallible. Notice that language of infallible? That's not in me. You're not, your confidence is not in me and what I'm going to do in the future. Your confidence is in Christ and the infallibility of the promise that guarantees that those who put their hope and faith in Jesus Christ alone for of sins will be saved. And that's a promise. Uh, we saw that last week in our Esther, or two weeks ago in the Esther. Remember, that was the whole point of that sermon, is why was Mordecai so confident that God was going to save Israel? Because the infallibility of the promise of God. If you haven't been reading Esther, I mean, if you pull it out of context in redemptive history, you'd never understand what he's saying. But if you go back to Deuteronomy, of which all the prophets and all the wisdom is, is basing its, its teachings on, you would see that Deuteronomy promised, one, when you leave, when you, when you sin, I'm going to exile you. And they got exiled. But, what, but, but I'm not going to leave you there. I'm going to remember you there. And when you repent and put your faith back in me, I will come and save you and heal you. It's, it's basic one-on-one theology applied to a theocratic, theocratic, geopolitical context of Christian faith. I know I just said a lot, but but yeah, it's a temporal, typological kind of reality of what we experience spiritually. And so, I'm sure, when Mordecai put on sackcloth and ashes and rebukes Esther and says, Esther, don't tell me to quit putting on ash cloth. Put them on yourselves, man, and, and let's repent here because, you know, you're going to be down too. She puts them on. She tells the whole nation of Israel to put them on, and he's out there saying God's going to do all this stuff, and he did. And this week you get to hear it to be a fun sermon to get there without snuff. No. So this is really important because because you're that's a great question and I really think it's honest. That, that I don't know. So there's a there is a sense in which the until the end is the only true test. <laughs> until the end is the only true test, but right now sitting in this room having submitted yourself to Christ's grace as it's through the means of grace vis-a-vis the government of the church who's heard your confession who's been given the power to bind and loose on earth, that is, give you assurance, you have assurance. And if you leave the church and go wayward and the church will, in fact, excommunicate you, you don't. You know? And that's really, that's that's the whole thing. We're not in this alone, thank God. So are you excommunicated? No, you're not. You've got assurance. Now, sure, the church is fallible, but ordinarily... Out of which there's no possibility of salvation, says our confession, ordinarily. But we could have heard, I guess. So you're not just your assurance is not in the church though, and it's promise. It's in the Scripture, in the promise of Scripture. So this is really, really, really big. And I and I said it last week. There's just nothing more important that you understand these things personally. Now the other aspect of this is is notice assurance. Now we're going to talk about assurance. Well, let's get it in, then we'll go back to some of these questions. I can't believe i haven't to start. I, I kept saying to myself, okay, after we read Scripture, we're going to pray. Now it's after we've done the confession, we're going to pray. Where are we going to pray? Let's just save some for the end. How about that?
1: Question? Yeah. In Hebrews, in chapter 6, it talks about someone who has think, tasted of the Spirit or partaken of the Spirit, yeah. Yeah. falls away, cannot be restored. Yeah. Yeah. How does that fit in? That's mm-hmm. a tough verse I know.
0: It is, and um, well, I'll give you the simple. And, and there's a lot more exegetically, but you, you really have to hear it in, in the in the vein of its overall message to the Jews, and the fact that they had been given the means of grace through the law, through the temp- temple, sacrificial system, all of that, that they had tasted. They had tasted of Christ through the temporal, through the the, the typological era of the law and the in the, and the the covenant and uh, you know all that and so what he's, he's I think saying is that if you depart from that which all of that was directing you to namely Jesus Christ which remember that's the way the whole book begins it begins with this all these things were as shadows directing you to Christ well he's basically saying for those who have only partaken of the Jewish uh, the, the, the pre-Christ uh, means of grace. It's as if you've tasted it, and now that Christ is here, you haven't actually digested it. And so they've left. That's why today I can't say in good conscience, I mean, to, to put it bluntly, let's say you are an Orthodox Jew, a practicing Jew who still practices, well, no Jews really fully practice because they don't have a sacrificial system anymore. But, but, um, but let's say you're, just a, you're over there and you're, you're doing everything that Moses commanded in terms of the means of grace that God gave to the Jewish people. Then that was sufficient. That was sufficient. That was the means of grace, which we're, we're bringing them to the same disposition that we are brought to in Christ today, which is repentance and faith and the grace of God as mediated through the temple. Right? The law which condemns the temple, which brings us to the salvation, etc., What he's saying then is for you to stay in that place and not now go to what everything about the temple and the the covenant was directing you to is to have no hope of salvation. So it's like if I were to say to a a, a friend who's Jewish, I love you, man. (laughs) I really respect your loyalty and your devotion to your Jewish practices, but you have no way of salvation except through Jesus Christ. And Christ has been revealed. And so now we're, we're living in a new era that's how I would understand it. Okay, let's look at some of these questions and then move on. Section one. Uh, just, just a, this is quickly. We can run through these questions I think very quickly. The assembly affirmed in very full language what is stated briefly in Philippians. We have just read that. When did the work begin? Simple question. When did this work of God begin, according to you know Philippians? He who began a good thing. When did? It, when was that again? You know the answer, guys. I promise, it's not magic. From the beginning. From the beginning, what? Is it at the moment of salvation? No. Nope. Well, when we experience salvation, no. Genesis Right. Christ in that? the
1: book and our name's in the book. Well, I love
0: the fact that y'all are doing redemptive history, but in terms of the <laughs> order of salvation, not the order of history, there's two kinds. There's order history and order of salvation. Where does it all begin in our order of salvation? The events that lead to our salvation, where does it start? Calling. Christ on the cross. Middle. Before that, oh, effectual calling. For that, accepted as below. Okay, turn to Romans, uh, uh, Romans eight. Well, let's keep going where you left. That's right after where you were talking about.
3: Starting in eighteen, I believe so. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth. You kind it. of zip
0: down there and see where it says uh, where it starts with uh, for those who God blank he blanked. for those who God blank he blanked. I can't
1: remember
3: those verses. Is it what is it? Forty nine or thirty? Yeah, something like that. Okay. And he who searches our hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that those who love God, all I'm sorry, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. There it is. Where did it begin? It
0: Predestination. Those whom he predestined are elected. Those whom he chose. It starts there. Remember, notice that little foreknown. Don't, don't. It's not just foreknown. For he, what he says is, look, it's, it's more than that he foreknew you. He chose you. Predestined. He chose you. And those God, and therefore the whole basis of our shat, uh, uh, assurance, now this is really great. we're starting to do a lot of web every time now. W- what do we know about God that makes it an impossibility, a logical impossibility for us therefore, not to be saved based on what, where it begins? He's sovereign. He's sovereign. He's, He's immutable. Remember that? He's unchangeable. He's infinite in his perfections. This is a God who has no room for improvement. And we change looking for improvement. There is no room for improvement. Therefore, there is no ontological, metaphysical, what do you want to call it, possibility that God could change. Because he is a perfect being. Like like now, everything's moving to get more perfect. The cellular world, if you know biology, is looking to become more perfect. Finding stronger bonds. Right? There is no perfection of God. Therefore, his will was perfect. Why would he change a perfect will? And so the, the, the argument here is profound. Our salvation began and ends with God. And that's the basis of the infallibility of our assurance, insofar as we put our faith in that. Yeah. And so there you go. It, it's really important that this promise that many of us quote He who began a good work in me will. Well, it's He who began it. And that's So in some ways you could say it's the perseverance of God to do that which he said he was going to do, to be faithful. You have pastors like Timothy. You know, God is faithful even when we're unfaithful. All right, number two, does the perseverance of the saints depend on the saints or on God? I think we just answered that, didn't we? Ultimately, God, even as we will make choices and wills, that God has ordained. That's this mystery between the first cause and the second cause of of our relationship between God and humanity. Yes, he uses secondary causes. Remember in the Decrees of God section? He says he doesn't exempt secondary causes. And one secondary cause is the the human will. But he, he certainly decrees that human will and by providence, by the Holy Spirit, moves that human will that we might believe. Could you believe except that God gave you the faith? You couldn't pretty radical I know <laughs> and yet there, we are going gonna, to from an anthropomorphic perspective we are going to feel choices we are going to feel and we are not deterministic in the sense we really our choices in our lives and what we do does matter but all of that is in time and space and outside of time and space there's a God that decrees all that and just let it be a mystery God's God's cool with I mean Paul's cool with that Romans 11 <laughs> Oh, who can know the mind of God? It's too great all that stuff. It's just a mystery. That's all right. And if it's not a mystery, I don't believe in God anymore. Because if there's a God, it's got to be an exhausting, exasperating moment of mystery to try to mine the mind of God. So that's all right. It's mystery. Just go right through it. It makes sense that this mystery, right? What about number three, section three? We're just kind of summarizing here what we read lost my place. Persevering saints ever fall into grievous sins. Yeah. Go ahead. Do, do persevering saints ever fall into grievous sins or continue in them for a time? Absolutely. I did just quote the passage, right? <laughs> yeah. So be encouraged, Christians. Yep, yeah, you're gonna probably screw up. Have bad days and good days. Well
4: David certainly did. Yeah, he sure <laughs> did. Yeah.
0: But 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 on the other hand, if I then say, Well, David did, I'm gonna get okay. This is my day. I'm just going to okay, God. I get mine right now. Here's my little chip. Let's go do it. Well, that's gonna. You're going to walk out of that, and remember, you have grieved God. Says, you have incurred His displeasure. You will be disciplined because He loves you. You will suffer the curse of what you've done. There will be consequences. You may go to jail. The church may forgive you, but he's going to say, "I'm going to forgive you." Now go to jail, because that's we're not going to preempt the, the, the judgment, the, the discipline of God that comes through His governing authorities, and the, the, even in a secular world. So see, we're not. So that's this. It's it's not going to be fun. In other words, so you could say it's stupid to sin, because the whole point of sin is coming from a God who loves us and knows the way the universe is put together. So to sin is just stupidity. You're fighting the world. You're fighting the nature of the world when you sin, but at the same time, you're fighting God, and it's not going to be. It's going to go well. Where
4: does the heart fit in this? Because back in yeah, uh, they were talking about hardening your, your heart.
0: Yeah. Hardened. Well, it's certainly that's uh, it's called by many terms: religious affections, uh, the will. I mean, what is the heart? But it's that. Yeah. But the idea is that you come to a place where you have hardened your heart. You're you're uh i mean some ways you can see this of course is a parallel universe you have this world here where you can do this and be this and then over here you're in a total different universe and it's amazing the capacity we have and it's a good capacity actually i mean it's you know it's it's important that you do need to be able to compartmentalize your life and, and you know right now I'm, I'm acting as pastor i'll go home and be a husband and i'll put another hat on and i'll go to my kids and i'll be a parent and and I'm going to compartmentalize that. And I got a kid in every compartment. You know, I told my kids when they got born. My oldest son said to me about my young, you know, well, you're not going to love me as much. You're going to have to share your love. I said, no, I got a whole compartment of love for you. I <laughs> got another whole compartment for him the day he got in my life. So it's it's you got you know you got a hundred percent, every one of you. You know,
4: but the heart, in medically, is one of the is most impo- a very important part of the body. The yeah. Most well, to be honest, yeah.
0: In redemptive history, the idea of heart is really the nefesh. It's the uh, it's the whole person. I would say your affections, your will, your your brain, your mind. I, it's unfortunate we make it emotional. I mean, I don't think you want to confuse heart with with all your emotions. I know you're. I don't think you're doing that. It's really the whole person. It's hard. Is what I would say. Okay, um, I'm moving on quickly here. Um, <laughs> So, any questions about perseverance? I oh, only have one more. What are the consequences of saints falling into sin? What, if anything, do they, the elect, lose? Observe, therefore, the difference between perseverance and assurance. We're going to get to that. Any, any thoughts about what do we lose? Is, what's the uh, consequence? We kind of talked about it. What do y'all hear? What does our confession say as the consequence? Just name a few. Loss of grace. Loss of the graces. We're not experiencing God's pleasure and graces. And we're outside of his favor in the sense that, that God is. we're under his discipline. He's going to deliver us over the consequences.
4: Separating.
0: My marriage, you know, I go have an adultery. Well, you're going to lose the best thing you ever had, which was your marriage. More than that, you respect. More than that, you know, you see. And so off you go an immediate gratification. So there's there's consequences that are both natural consequences. Let's put this in categories. There's natural consequences, but there's also spiritual consequences. So it's stupid to sin, but more than that, there are consequences. Yeah? Yeah, go
1: just chimed in. God's displeasure.
0: Amen. And what does that mean to, to incur God's displeasure? Well, I don't, you know, what would it mean to be in the displeasure. It's it's still the father to a son displeasure. So I guess the closest analogy I have is when I know my father and my mother are disappointed in me. And and, and that affects my relationship. Another way to put it is when you are sinning, you know, what what do you do when you're sinning and, and relation to someone you respect and love and and you're lying to them? What's gonna happen there? What's gonna be the consequence of that when you're trying what's gonna happen in your relationship with that person? They
4: are going to trust you.
0: They're not going to trust you. What's going to happen to you in relationship with them?
4: You're going to feel distant. You're going to feel distant. Fear.
0: Your fear. Yeah. You're going to want to get away. I mean, the, the first thing you do is you don't want to go to church, which is the very thing that would pro- if you're in a gospel-winning church, is going to actually restore your relationship. So, and the same thing with parents. As a parent, when my children would, would do something wrong, they didn't want to see me come home. You know? Now, a gospel, you know, I want to get that thing restored quick. So please, tell the truth, I beg you, tell the truth, confess it, so that I can then restore it. But what we will do is lie, we'll try to avoid it, we'll run away, you know, and and so what's happening in our relationship with God now? That's, That's part of the displeasure thing, that we're afraid of him now, which is why the church and the means of grace is so important, because we need the flesh of Christ to say, I forgive you, you know. Some people might think it's rote that every Sunday we raise our hands and we say that, but we need to hear it. God speaking to you, saying, You're forgiven. So stand up. We're we're good. And let's go on. You're my child. That's so important. Okay. Any other questions about perseverance? Are you encouraged a little bit? Verse uh, section three especially encourages me. Yeah, I hate to say it, you know. But, wow, wow, you know, it really can. You know, you can struggle. Yeah.
1: I heard a sermon on this, and it was entitled "Cooperative Grace," and that that mm. stuck with me mm. for a long time. It's cooperative grace.
0: Yeah, yeah I'm thinking about it. <laughs> There's certainly, I mean, from a theocentric point of view, there's it's just God's grace, right? The but we, what you mean is that we, we respond congregate. to it. We yeah, cooperate, yeah, there's, yeah, res- yeah. there's a response yeah. to grace. I don't know that I'm putting grace into it, but there's me responding to grace. Right, it, right. right. Yeah. I, can get, I can live with that, if that's yeah. what you mean. Yeah. yeah. All right, yeah. let's go on to assurance. Um, someone read uh, number one, if you have it in front of you. Although hypocrites and
1: other unregenerate men may vainly deceive themselves with false hopes and carnal presumptions of being in favor of God and a state of salvation which hope of theirs shall perish, yet such as truly believe in the Lord Jesus and love him in sincerity, endeavoring to walk in all good conscience before him, may, in this life, be certainly assured that they are in the state of grace, and may rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Who lost the page? Uh, which hope which shall hope never, make them, never them. make them ashamed? Yeah.
0: All right. So there is this amazing statement that gets you a little nervous. What is there anything about this statement that gets you nervous? Deceived. Okay. The fact that certain law makes the case that there are those who are deceived. It is possible to say, "Lord," and not really be a, a Christian. And what? If, but then he goes. But the point is to say, while it's true that 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 can happen, it's also true that what we can have the certainty of of, of assurance. So don't think this is something that happens at glorified glorification as in after you die. It can happen now, and it should happen now. And as one of my as I said, it's a number one goal pastoral ministry that we do everything we can do to bring you to that place where you have the certainty of assurance, because that will absolutely reinterpret every single solitary event that happens in your life. Every event, every car wreck, every suffering, everything that happens, it's either I interpret it as a God who loves me and takes care of me, or I'll interpret it as a God that's worrying if he loves me and will take care of me. Is this a evidence of, you know... God's not, he's against me? Or is this an evidence of God, you know, or am I true? Trib- so it all begins with, remember we talked about suffering? That whole, we had a whole thing on suffering and the knowledge of God. But, you know, remember that little uh, syllogism that we put together where you, you know, that starts off something like, you know, uh, God is love, God is holy. Um, you know, no, there would be no suffering if God is all love and God is all holy. There is suffering, therefore there's no God. Well, see, that presupposes an upside-down way of approaching this from a, from a revelation point of view. It assumes that we are going to work ourselves inductively up to God based on our observations. That's, that is the hermeneutic of the Enlightenment that got us all messed up, the, the Cartesian revolution, right? What we're going to say is, no, Revelation has taught us that there is a God. And he is holy. And he is a loving Therefore, there is no, what, purposeless, capricious suffering. So if you're suffering, there is an ultimate and greater good to that suffering. And now we're going to get busy looking for it. See, it's a whole worldview that starts with either I'm on top of the the, uh, judicial curve. That's the enlightenment. I am is where I'll start. And out of that I am. I will build what I know, the Cartesian revolution. Or God is is how we start, and I interpret everything under the assumption that He is, that He exists. That I am, I am, says the Lord. And I'll start there, deal with it. <laughs> you know? And we have the reasons to believe that, of course. But the point is, is that so it's not faith seeking, it's not reason seeking faith. It's faith seeking reason. So you get back to this whole issue of assurance. Same thing. If I have put my hope and faith that there is a God and that God receives me to himself by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone, therefore there is a God who is sovereign, there's a God who is good, and, and there's a God who is, that I'm in favor with. I'm not on his bad side, I'm on his good side by faith in Christ. Therefore, this car wreck is a loving God doing some, spending a little special time with me like a good coach would do if he believes in him. That's my paradigm, I'm the athletic. But he may have another one.
4: That's why we can rejoice in the
0: hope, and we can rejoice in the hope. And and Paul can say, "I know where it's all going. I'll press on." Mm-hmm. You say but but you wouldn't be able to do that apart from assurance is huge. If you're in a counseling ministry, if you're in a friendship ministry, and someone comes to you and says, oh, "I don't think I love you. You just broke up with me, or whatever," just stop and say, "Okay, can we just can we talk about your relationship with Jesus Christ? Do you believe in Him?" Have you read these scriptures and these promises? Do you do you have assurance? Is there any question in your mind that you belong to God? No. Is there any question in your mind that he's sovereign? No. Is there any question in your mind that he's good? No. So you're on his good side. He's sovereign. He's good. You can go on. Present. All that other stuff. So why are you praising God that he got rid of your boyfriend? <laughs> because ten years ago you're gonna, from now you'll probably figure it out. He just saved your life or something. I don't know. I, mean, I don't want to get too crap. Or maybe 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 you can get rid of it. Maybe there's going to be a season where you and your boyfriend are going to rediscover each other. I mean, I don't know. You can't go to the future. I'm just saying that generally, it changes everything. And I, I want you to hear our confession say it is possible. It is, in fact, supposed to be the case that Christians have assurance. And it's unbelievable how few do. Because it's always based on that. So let's go to number two. Can I just yeah. share that? Yeah.
4: Please. I think you all know that our son was killed in August. And we have, God has walked us through this. Mm-hmm. And we have had the hope. Mm-hmm. And do we miss him? Yes, it would be 50 in February. And, but we've seen God move. And he is, he's just, we just keep looking to that. Because we know mm-hmm. that God is sovereign. And, yeah. and, 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 and we the just see of that in in so many ways mm-hmm. and in mm-hmm. our own lives.
0: We have to keep doing that. That's right. Thank you. Number two. Who can read it for me?
3: This certainly is not a bare conjectural probable persuasion grounded upon a fallible hope but an infallible assurance of faith founded upon the divine truth of the promises of salvation. The inward evidence of those graces unto which these promises are made the testimony of the spirit of adoption, witnessing with our spirits that we are children of God, which spirit is the earnest of our inherent inheritance, whereby we are sealed to the
0: day of redemption. So this is another cause for two various schools of camp. Because right here you see this idea that there's an infallible assurance of faith founded upon what? Well, the first one is the divine truth of the promises of salvation. But then it also adds with that the inward evidence of those graces into which the promise no the, yeah the inward evidence of those graces into which those promises are made what are they saying there that's been a cause of great you know discussion are we to wait till we feel it to, to, I mean are we is this uh, an excuse <laughs> in a sense this or a, a cause for us to say oh when I'm not feeling it or I'm not experiencing then maybe I'm not saved. I I should be basing my hope on my feelings. I don't think there's any possibility that's what they're talking about. So what would be another way to understand this? By the way, reason for that is because we've already heard them say about justification, they were saved by grace through faith, and then what is it, and what is faith? Faith is assenting, receiving, and resting. So it has nothing to do with me from beginning to end. It's, It's what we believe in. So what do you think he's talking about here? So hard. I mean, what, what they're trying to remind us is there is a work of the Spirit, and the Spirit's work is subjective, not just objective. That there has to be a sense in which when you believe something, you believe it not just as a catechism question answer, but you believe it effectively. That is to say that you believe it's uh, what they're really talking about is what we would call effectual calling and, and being born again. And there's a sense in which it, it's a subjective. There is a it, it's a work of the Spirit on me. It's not so. The best way I know to say it is, I believe, and with that belief comes an inward peace, a a genuine personal engagement with what I say. It's different from the person who can coldly say what does the scriptures principally teach and this person recites the catechism question. You know, we're just, you know, and, and off you go to the shorter catechism, right? So I've seen it a thousand times. I know what I, what they're talking about. It's the kid who can sit up there in their assembly, and I believe is a Christian, but who doesn't have assurance yet. They have an ignorance maybe, but the assurance, well, they have it because we told them to have it, so I guess they do, but I know that they will go through a season in order to discover this this assurance, they must go through a season where they struggle and they come to believe, and we say it in a lot of ways, it becomes personal. It becomes real, you know. It becomes something. But I think that's all they're talking about. They're, they're concerned against, remember, up until, gosh, you know, 17th century, there was no such thing as religion that was not tied to temporal benefits and, and state. I mean, you know, there was no such thing as a nation state that didn't have a God, a deity, and whose well-being wasn't tied to how you relate to that God. Even our Puritans who came to America had this idea of America being the Israel of God and, and had a confusion. You, you call it, the Puritans had what we call a covenant theology, but what we mean by that is not what we mean. They, had, they believed that God had entered into a covenant with them to come to this, quote, prom, new promised land. And so how, how, you know, and, and so when, when Indian raids came, what would they believe? That, that they had broken contract and that God was cursing them. When their daughters or husbands or whatever would die of the common flu, you know, is what they would have back there, they believed that God was angry at them. Now, how is that? You know, we read the Puritans ungraciously, but if you live under that worldview, that there was a contract between you and and the well-being of Mass Bay Colony. Every Indian raid, every illness, every everything. And then we read about the Scarlet Letter, and yeah, that's horrific. But what were they doing? They were preserving their their very existence and trying to rid themselves of those things that would bring God's wrath upon the Mass Bay Colony. So, So... with that in mind, and remember this was written 350 years ago, think about what's going on here. They're trying to distinguish between that kind of faith when there are temporal benefits attached to it that might be coming to church. Remember, you couldn't, even own, you couldn't own land unless you remember the church. My guess is Jonathan Edwards is preaching to a lot of people who can recite the catechism who haven't yet made it real. And I think this is the language they're using. So let's don't confuse us, because today we rip it out of the context, and we don't understand. They're basically saying it's got to be real. It's got to be personal. It's that idea of 1 Corinthians 10 that says, lest they discern the Lord's body. And that word discern is more than I uh, I I can repeat atonement theory. It's they see myself in that body as being atoned for. I need it. I want it. That is to say, I have an inward, okay? So let's be, this has led a lot of people astray, I'm afraid. That's why I'm pushing on this. Be careful with this. It's true that we must have an inward work of the Holy Spirit to be saved. Our gospel says you must be born again. And we must personally discern that Christ is my Savior and I receive him. And that's a genuine experience. But that doesn't mean now that you are basing your assurance on, on the, the strength or, or whatever of my experience. It just means that's, that's what comes with it. It's got to be personal.
4: That's sort of the beginning yeah, of the long is. walk. It begins it, but it, you
0: know, you still want it. You're here and you want it. It's, it's that kind of a concept.
1: I've heard it expressed that it's something in your knower.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <That> something
1: <laughs> it's something you know. Hard. There are other things <laughs> that are in your knower.
0: In, in your knower. knower.
1: In your knower. Okay. <laughs> okay yeah. I'm trying to figure out what the knower is. You mean I'll, in the person? I'll, I'll give you a, in the person. I always believe in the doctrine of the resurrection. Yeah. But when Dan died, and that it came became yeah.
0: personal. Yeah. Amen. That's right. Thank you. All right, number three. This is another one. Who would read it first?
2: Uh, This infallible assurance does not so belong to the essence of faith, but that a true believer may wait long and conflict with many difficulties before he be partaker of it. Yet being enabled by the Spirit to know the things which are freely given him of God, he may, without extraordinary revelation and the right use of ordinary means, attain thereunto. And therefore, it is the duty of everyone to give all diligence to make his calling and election sure, and thereby his heart may be enlarged in peace and joy in the Holy Ghost in love and thankfulness to God and in strength and cheerfulness in the duties of obedience the proper fruits of this assurance so far is it from including men to looseness inclining men to looseness
0: so here because of the importance of assurance I'm hearing a mandate for the church and every Christian in the church to really treat this issue of assurance seriously don't you hear that there? That, that is really a, a major important thing that we need to be doing. That's the gist of what it is. And um, yeah, notice there's some really good language there. Again, founded upon the divine truth. thing goes on to say down there that it can be difficult. We've talked about some reasons for that difficulty. And um, But notice that it's not yet being enabled by the Spirit to know the things which are freely given Him by God. He may without extraordinary revelation. Oh, that's Big. Okay, I'm not waiting for a second experience. I'm not waiting for a, you know, uh, what's the language that Wesley used? Um, This is contra-Wesley right here. That you can be carnal, and therefore you need a second event. You can have this, you can be a Christian without the Holy Spirit. Without being, you know, that. And so, no, this is, they're not saying that that you need something, you need... God has done plenty if you're born again. It's now you need to get your your theology right, and you need to participate in the ordinary. Notice the word ordinary, not extraordinary. Ordinary means of grace, word, sacrament, community of the saints, prayer. And you need to participate in those things through which God will enable you to believe in a true and holistic way that was described in the the previous uh, section.
4: In some of the scriptures don't they say, I don't know if it equates to the same thing about receiving Mm -hmm.
0: wouldn't that be? Well that's how we become a Christian yeah. Right.
4: We really receive
0: it. But but we can go into it in a minute but no I'm not waiting for some lightning bolt to help tell me I'm a Christian. Right. And so if you sit at the beach and you say God I'm struggling, just give me a sign just know that that's not what you should be expecting. And if he doesn't it don't mean nothing. I mean, he can do anything he wants but but he doesn't want us to be you know it, it hit me because i used to ask for stuff like that a lot you know come on god if you want me to do this give me a sign. and um you know but it dawned upon me in my older and more hopefully spiritually mature years that if he had done that he had bequeathed me to very weak faith he would have not actually been doing what you would want god to do which is helped me not to be circumstantially determined not to be wishy-washy and blowing with every experiential and circumstantial situation that happens in my life. You know, he wants us to walk by faith. And yet we want to walk by sight. It doesn't last either. Yeah, it does.
1: moments
2: of it's when right. that stuff happens. They go like that. If that was the basis of your insurance, it would... Yeah.
0: It, it's what we do, by the way, when you go to you know, a retreat, you know, your kids are going on to a young life retreat or something, and they come back, and, and they said this to me sometimes, oh man, I... I had an experience up there, and and if they say that to me, and, and we're talking about this person becoming, you know, being admitted to Lord's table or something, I'm gonna, I'm certainly not gonna discredit the experience. I, I mean, I'm not gonna say it's not meaningful, it's not real, whatever it was. i I mean, God was, I believe that, but I will, I will do major surgery um, with the Word of God as my scaffold to make sure that person doesn't walk away from that experience believing in that experience is the basis of their assurance. Mm-hmm. Because that experience, you know, we all know who've been around and been there, it it's gone a long, I mean, what happened to me down there at the bar when I first came to Christ is so gone I couldn't even repeat it. And I'm not placing my hope on some memory of that happening. Plus I've had enough things that contradict that what happened that, you know, i got to go back to grace. Okay, um... We, here again, four says a, somewhat like what uh, what we see. Again, it's amazing these Puritans. I keep saying these Puritans because I think we have this idea that Puritans are perfect, or that they are horrible, whichever way you go. And here they are, gracious and loving as they can be, with a nice little true believers may have the assurance of their salvation in diverse ways, shaken, diminished, and intermittent as by negligence and preserving of it, by per- falling into some special sin which woundeth the conscience and grieveth the spirit. They're basically saying the same thing we already talked about. But they'll, they'll get it back. If they're true, God will, you know, in the, by use of the ordinary means of grace, He will bring them back to that saving grace. I just can't tell you how important it is to me. The, I mean, I'm not saying this because of my job, but I, I mean, you just can't believe how important it is to keep going to church on Sunday. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just that simple. Just keep going. But we need the body. You need the body, you need the word. Remember, your scripture, when you're reading it, is not as powerful as to hear it preached. Because the word becomes flesh and speaks at you, not through you. And you need to, you need that. It becomes alive in the mystery of the sacramental union of God, the word, that becomes flesh. Have you ever thought about that? That's what's happening in the sermon. The word abstract, invisible in heaven becomes flesh and dwells among us every time we preach, every time we do the sacrament, every time you touch each other with each other's flesh where Christ dwells in you, the community. The word is becoming flesh but it cannot become flesh by you being alone in a, in a prayer closet. This is just not happening. And that's why it's so important. Yes. Um,
4: I love the fact that we could get the sermons if we weren't there, because I've been you know missing for these last yeah. weeks when I was sick, but that's the proof of it. Yeah. You know, I'm listening to that sermon from last week, and I'm I just like, I'm missing something. Yeah, it's not quite the it same. Really get that well,
0: not only that, they're momentarily, I mean, I've said this many times, and this is off-base, so I won't go too much on it, but they may be good lectures. they may be good, good lectures, or they may be very good devotions, or whatever you want to call it to hear, sermons will take, but they're not live. And it, it's just, it's, it's, it's a mystery, but there's things happening in that room, the environment, everything that makes it whole and powerful. And, and not only that, I was listening to John Piper the other day um, in his retirement, and and uh, I just really appreciated it because he's fairly rare as a populist that he really remained not just a, 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 a preaching pastor, but he actually remained in the life of his church up until the latter years of his ministry there. And, and so he's not just sort of, I mean, he's in there, you know. And, ah, I mean, only a pastor knows, but he sat there and he said, you know, something about how can you continue to preach, he said, and he went and said, basically, you, you don't understand, every sermon is just totally informed by every tear and every counseling meeting and every hospital visit, it all just oozing out of there, and you don't even know how it's going to come out. And it's so true, it's a living, organic thing between what's happening in a counseling room and what's happening in that sermon. And, and it'd be, it's not that it's about Preston and, or Kevin or whoever. It's about the reality. Now, that sermon is fallible, but it's living as it's speaking of the infallible Word of God. So let's don't confuse that either. You want, you've got to say something. I yeah, can't well, see I was listening yeah. another
2: and uh, Tim Keller, I read an interview one time, and he was asked uh, how much time do you spend on pastoral care? How much time do you uh, spend on sermon preparation? And he said, well, wait a minute. Pastoral care is sermon preparation. This is mm-hmm. what's going on
1: here. And it's all yeah. together by of the same package. It's the same sentence. yeah But it's the whole service
0: that builds together it does. that we need exactly. to have. Excellent. Well, guys, we've run out of time. But notice right after this, you have some questions. Um, I, I, introduce you, I introduced you first to uh, the Pelagius. I didn't get to read through that little history. It's a nice little, go up to the top of the, the thing and read the Pelagius Augustine uh, debate that was a huge debate um, in church history here's another one uh, that was going on among the Puritans uh, trying to understand the difference between the spirit and, and this what we've already talked about you may want to look at that but it's very there were two schools of camp and uh, or camp schools whatever you want to call it um, you know, if you've read a lot of Jonathan Edwards like his uh, resolutions Edwards struggled mightily with assurance mightily and I had a very unhealthy view of it, honestly, for many, 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 many years. And if you were to read his spiritual resolutions, if, I don't know that he would use it this way. I think that would be unfair to say. But if you were to follow the spiritual resolutions, if you, for a second, if those for a second were the basis of your assurance, you would be condemned. I mean, no way. You know. So look at this if you're interested in some of that, a little bit of history there. Um, I think that's sufficient. The question's... Uh, I want to end with this one thing. Can a person lose assurance?
1: No. Yes. yes. I know it's a
0: complicated question. Yes, they can. Why? Because assurance isn't the same as salvation. Right. Right. Assurance is what's happening to me. And we've already heard that when we are in the process of running away from the Lord, we are losing that assurance at that moment in the lack of repentant sin. But, but but, in the sin, you know what I mean, I, there is a degree here, of course. I mean, if, if if every time I sin, like you know, raise my voice, lie, whatever, I'm, no, we're, that's not what we're talking about. It's in this habitual, constant. I've left the church. I've left everything. Kind of sense. So yeah, there's there's times when it can be intermittent. We're told, but that not don't equate that with you've lost your justification. It's that you are now, you know, uh, struggling to experience the graces of that justification, which is the assurance. Yes.
2: But what if that not necessarily lose the insurance
0: is you forget the insurance. okay that's that's one way to put it yeah,
1: yeah.
3: your assurance is based on Christ and what he's done yes. yeah I And mean, your, your your salvation is based on that your assurance should is based on that but it's you looking at it sort mm-hmm. of sort of thing it's kind of like when a, when somebody's first experiences the the fact that God loves them and they, and they accept Christ and they believe and receive, there you, you're looking at it from the human perspective of what so it's, just it's happened. So when you are
0: in unrepentant sin. Now, so yeah. that's a key difference. So mm-hmm. we sin every day, and and if we are sinning every day, but yet continuing to re, to confess that and ask God's help and go through the week, you know, what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So this, this Sunday you're going to come and you're going to confess some sins, and mm-hmm. you probably would have already confessed about you know one billionth of them that even were in your head. You know, but it doesn't mean that, you know, you're going like this all week with assurance. Because you're living in a state of repentance and faith. Right. Mm. And 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 you see and and um, and um, you know repent or repent sin. It's when there is there's a season where I'm sinning but I'm not repenting. I'm not confessing. I'm not see, you know, going to church. I'm 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 taking off
3: get every and right and we don't know
0: sure. at that state you're saying well maybe I really don't maybe I'm not you know etc but only time will tell in that regard that we got to be honest alright I said we could pray Would someone uh, just uh, one or two of you let's just let's let's go back to the beginning and, and here we are um, beginning to realize how much our theology matters and how much it's important that it started with the doctrine of God we got that in here today it, begin, it moves through the, the various doctrines of salvation and now bring us to this place of assurance. So let's pray. this a couple of you, if you would mind. i just close with some prayer of thanksgiving and intercession.